morning, Grace. It's good to see you guys this morning, and um, we're here to worship the Lord. Amen? So this morning we have a special uh, recognition that uh, we want to spend a little bit of time uh, this morning recognizing the graduation of our high school seniors. It's certainly a year they will not forget. Um, and so um, I'm going to ask Corey Cooper to come up here along with Megan, and I think they're going to present some some gifts to our graduating seniors. All right, so seniors, I'm going to call you up here. You're going to get a Bible from us, and then you're going to go back to your seat. Um, we don't want you up here with us, okay? So, yeah, yeah, go ahead and sanitize up. So, all right, so first off, um, before we really get started, I just want to say congrats to all of you seniors. Um, <clears throat> Y'all have had a weird senior year, and I know each of you pretty well. It's fitting, okay? So it's fitting. Y'all are weird people. So, all right, so uh, we'll start out with Kayla Allison. Kayla? not supposed to touch her <laughs> she already is breaking the rules Alex Brayman <laughs> Joy Dolan <laughs> Jay 
Amy Claire Howard. Lane Kuykendall. <laughs> and Cole Pierce. And before I leave, because I just want to say something to the seniors, um, and then after that, I want to say something kind of to the church as a whole, okay? So real quick, um, I want to read to y'all a passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read 10 through 18. Okay, this is talking about putting on the spiritual armor of God. Seniors, it's going to be crucial, okay? It is going to be absolutely crucial for y'all to do this. Um, if you don't do it, you're going to wind up in a lot of hurt. Okay, so my encouragement is, is that you would take this very serious. The Christian walk is not something to be lackadaisical about. You have to take this seriously. And as you are pushed out into the world, you are going to lose some of your inner circle of influence. And my challenge is that you can put on this armor. You can stand firm, okay? And we can see you back here in, you know, four years, maybe doing ministry here or maybe at another church. But that's my hope. That's my prayer for y'all. Okay, so let's read this, and this is what I want. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all power and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And seniors, what I want you to know <clears throat> is that although the youth leaders won't technically be your leaders anymore, I know the hearts of Chris and Amanda, I'm pretty sure I know the heart of Megan, and I know my heart, they're all wicked. But outside of that, we do love y'all. Okay, and we're always here for you. So no matter how, more, how much more you grow, whether in stature or age, we're always here for you. We're a phone call away, a text away. We care about you, we love you, and we will keep you accountable to God's word. Okay, church, my prayer is that we pray for these young kids who are really adults now, that we will stand beside them, we'll love them, we'll point them to truth at all times. So my encouragement and my challenge to the church as a whole is that we spend time in prayer over each one of them. We all know they're going to need it. They're going to need it. And we need to be faithful to pray for them. So that's my challenge. Youth who are now becoming older youth, stand firm, put on the spiritual armor. And church, let's pray for them. Let's keep them accountable to that.
All right, B, will you come up and pray for us, please? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do just thank you this morning for uh, these young people and their lives, Lord, as a body that we've gotten to spend time with them, Lord, and um, we do just lift them up to you, Lord, as Corey said, Lord, uh, uh, that they would do that. They would put on uh, your armor and that they would be strong, and in the power of your might, they'd go forth, Lord. You say that uh, you haven't given us a, a spirit of timidity, but of power and of a sound mind, Lord, and I know that the world they're going into, I think back to when I was their age, Lord, there was, uh, there was no civil unrest like we see now uh, or, or pandemics like we see now, the, the things that they're facing. But not just that, Lord, just the animosity towards the gospel uh, that exists in the world today is so much more than it was uh, for me when I was their age. And so I uh, pray, Lord, that you guard them, put a hedge of protection around them, help us as a body to, to do what uh, Corey's challenged us with and continue to pray for them but that you would give them that spirit of courage, Lord, to stand for the truth um, always and to have uh, the sound mind, Lord, that comes from knowing you and walk with you. Help them to build their lives, Lord, on the foundation, the rock that is you, uh, to understand that, you know, the people they've known here uh, with this body of believers, Lord, that they can look up to and respect is, has nothing to do with those people. Those people are just Christ followers. And the foundation of their lives is Christ. I pray for these young people as they go forth, Lord, that they would realize that, that you would open their eyes to that truth, and that if they are not there now, they would get there. If they are there now, they would stay there, resting their lives on the foundation that is Christ and him alone uh, as they move forward in their lives, Lord. And so we just thank you for them again, pray your protection over them, and that, uh, and that uh, as Corey said, Lord, years from now, Lord, uh, we will see them walking in the faith. I think of the verse in James. Nothing brings me greater joy than to hear my children walking in the faith, Lord. And so that's what we want to see from these guys. And, and we thank you again for them. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Corey. Um, and Megan and all the youth leaders. Um, it, it does take an army to work with youth. We appreciate all of those who have labored. Um, and I would encourage um, all the youth leaders to remember this, that they're going to continue to watch your lives. <laughs> it doesn't stop. You might stop having direct influence because they're not in front of you every week, but you will have influence in their lives. And Teresa and I received a... I'll tell you why I know this. <laughs> we received a message... Um, Yesterday, from a girl that we had almost, I guess it'd be about 27, 28 years ago up in New York, and she wrote Teresa a long letter about how the Lord's work in her life and where that started and all that stuff. And so, you know, you never know. I mean, um, the Lord is always uh, certainly going to use you, and you need to be mindful of the fact that these young people are uh, continuing to watch you. I remember picking up some of these kids when they were like that little in Awana and just kind of putting them over my shoulder. And I looked at Cole and Lane and I don't think I could do that anymore. I don't think so. But congratulations to all you guys. Um, you're entering a new phase of life. And I promise you it's a new phase. And um, you, you will be wrestling with a lot of things in your life, a lot of decisions. I, I used to tell young people between the time they're 17 and 24, you'll make decisions for your lifetime. It's just the truth. 
And um, I would say be very, 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 very careful with the person that you choose to be your life mate. Very, did I say very yet? Very, 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 very. Teresa and I celebrate 35 years in a couple of weeks. I don't know if she's celebrating, but I'm celebrating. We are proud of all you guys and um, thank the Lord for you and pray that you will walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So this morning I wanted to um, start by saying we will change the second service time next week back to 1030. We'll move it back 15 minutes to try to, um, we're taking steps in this process and um, obviously you guys aren't fully aware of everything we've been discussing, but we're trying to, um, to make steps along the way that will help us um, in the future. So next week, uh, we will go back to the second service being at 1030. The first service will remain at 845. Okay? I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We've been reading through the book of Philippians. And this morning, we want to read... The first 11 verses together, and so I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read God's Word. Paul writes this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. By the way, that's possible no matter what's going on in our lives. We can rejoice in Him. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil, circum, uh, the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We could probably just preach on that right this minute. That is a very, very important statement that we not put confidence in the flesh. Although, he says, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. And if anyone should have, it should have been Paul. He said, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone ha else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, Paul says, found blameless, but, circle that word, but, but whatever things were gained to me, the things before Christ, that's what he's saying, those things I have counted as loss, they're in the loss column, he says, for the sake of Christ, more than that, he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What a testimony. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. By the way, we shouldn't be surprised uh, at loss as a believer. It comes around because you've got to deny yourself. He says, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish is the word dung. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith. Through faith, underscore that, through faith in Christ. 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I'm dressed with the righteousness of Christ because of faith, period. That I may know him, he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow, what a statement. Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, Paul had a really healthy view of life. He understood that for him to live, as he said just two chapters previously is that we have re recorded for to me. Notice he didn't use any other pronouns. It was just him. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That would be a great banner to have, wouldn't it, in your life? That for to you and for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we just want to commit this morning to you and... Um, just pray that your spirit would lead us, that your spirit would guide us, that ultimately, Lord, um, in all these things, that you would receive the glory and the honor. Thank you, Lord, for these graduating seniors. And I pray for their lives, Lord. I pray they would, would live for you and serve you well, and Lord, that you would lead them every step of the way. I pray for the youth leaders, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen them and to guide them as they lead the ministry and help them to know and remember that the students are always watching. And um, no matter what phase of life they enter, they're going to watch those that instructed them and those that walk beside them in life. And I just pray for them. And Lord, I pray that um, you would continue to bless the ministry. And Lord, that it would be what you desire it to be. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, and I pray that this morning um, what we do, Lord, would honor you in all these things, I pray in the precious name of Christ, who is Lord. Amen. Good morning, everyone. You can remain standing as we sing. I wanted to just get our, our minds set around uh, the songs we're going to be singing this morning. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And then he says this, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So this morning, if you're in Christ, you've been reconciled to your Creator. And so this morning is all about responding to what God has first done. He has first loved us, and now we, through Christ, respond back to Him. And one of the ways that we can do that is through song. So let's sing together. You died and rose. 
guys can have a seat. As I told them in the first service, we are living in a tumultuous time right now, right? But we have a privilege uh, and a path to peace that the world doesn't have. Uh, we can join with angels in heaven in singing praise and blessing and honor to the name of our God. And when we do that, we're doing what we were created to do. And so that brings us peace. Not only does it honor God, but it helps us. It brings us peace. And it gives us a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. So y'all keep that in mind as we sing these next couples.
Hallelujah from the heavens. Hallelujah in the heights above the earth. Hallelujah all his angels. Hallelujah for the last who will be first. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah in the morning. Hallelujah for the beauty of Hallelujah, summer shining stars. Let it be that has bread. Praise the Lord. Let it be that has bread. Praise the Lord. When the night out our worship time again. Perfect peace in the times of storms. This song's about when things are really, really good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when things get really, really bad, kind of like they are now in many different ways, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, 
in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. When I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name. The sun shining down on me. The world's all. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to faith. When the darkness closes in. Blessed be the name 
Thank you, praise team. They do a wonderful job, don't they? So this morning, I'm going to address, hopefully biblically, it's my intention, to address what's going on in our world, our culture. Monday night, the elders had a discussion about what's going on in the United States. So sometimes when that happens, you know, I think the best way to explain it would be that the Lord leads and guides me. That's the best thing to say. And um, in doing that, I always have to be open to um, doing something that I wasn't planning on doing. Um, we are going through Second Timothy, <laughs> and we will continue to go through Second Timothy, but it'll be there next week. I think it's important for us as the church, if you are a part of the church, and that's a big question. You, know, you are a part of the church if you are a believer in Christ, if you know him as your Savior. If you don't, you're not a part of the church. Now, you can be in a building that's called a church, but to be a part of the church, you have to be born again. And when that happens, whoo, isn't that awesome? When you're born again, and it is no longer you that live, but Christ that lives in you. I've been standing in front of people teaching and preaching since I was 20 years old. Lord, help those people that listened to me those first few years. Um, I think that my heart's pretty troubled in terms of what's going on in our world. Um, and I think people are fearful. I think that people truly are fearful. But I would declare that we don't need to be. I would th say that things look like a mess. And can I tell you something? They're going to stay a mess. You know how I know that? Because we are not moving toward a state of utopia. We are moving toward the tribulation period. And so as the church, we know it's not going to get better. And you know, I hate it for the young people. I didn't say this first service because there wasn't very many young people. More cotton tops in the first service. But I do, I hate it for you guys. I didn't grow up in an imperfect, I mean, in a perfect world when I was a kid or a teenager. There were always issues going on. You know the difference now? It's before us all the time. You actually had to wait till 5.30 in the afternoon when Walter Cronkite came on before you got any news. But now, man, you can sit right there and probably some of you might be doing that. I have no idea. You can sit right now and just scroll through and figure out what's going on. And everybody has their opinions. Boy, does everybody have their opinions. You know, opinions can get us in trouble. Can we agree on that? And I think the challenge for the believer is to come at things from a biblical perspective all the time. I stopped looking at Facebook. I'm pretty much done with that. I've said last two weeks, Lord, I am not looking at that. Because all you're doing is streaming through a bunch of opinions, mostly. 
Some of you agree with, and you go, hey, I agree with that. And some of you are like, yeah, what are they doing? And it gives you an upset stomach, doesn't it? Sometimes. So the question becomes, for us, in a culture where there is a medical pandemic going on, and people are scared, and where there's a cultural pandemic going on, and people are scared, um, you know, all that comes about because there is a spiritual pandemic. You can shake your head, because it's true. But you know, there was a spiritual pandemic in Noah's day. Woo! You ever read it? I mean, one family gets on the ark, that's it. The rest of them are condemned. So, every pastor that stands behind pulpits, whether it was last week or this week or maybe next week, kind of forced to deal with what's going on and you just because you lead people and they want to know well, what do you think I've had plenty of people text me and call me and hey Pat what do you think and if you're just asking me what I think there's lots of thoughts going through my mind but biblically um, I have some solid answers for you and they aren't my own thoughts these come from the Lord I will weave in today with some thoughts concerning things. But I'm not going to cross over into um, a political discussion. You know, that kind of gets messy with Christians, doesn't it? Can we agree with that? So let's not get messy. The world's already messy. Let's not get messy with it. I want to remind you today of four things. Um... And these four things are critical to your theology. As you live every day, critical to your theology. I think I said once already, but I want to say it again. Let's not be surprised by the condition of our world today. Let's not be surprised by men and their propensity to sin all the time. By the way, that includes us. Just in case you were feeling a little self-righteous. That includes us. So, I want to begin by saying that all men are created by God. Are you listening to me? All men. We acknowledge a creator. We say, yes, he created me. Wouldn't it be great if people were walking down the street saying, God created me? Wouldn't that be nice? I guarantee somebody's going to stop you. In Jeremiah, the first chapter, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, Before I formed you, before I created you, that's the word there, before I created you, before I formed you, in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you. Do you know that there is one that knows you perfectly. I've been married to my wife almost 35 years. I do not know her perfectly. And she does not know me perfectly. She's probably like, thank God I don't know you perfectly, right? I mean, there's only one that knows us perfectly. In fact, you know what the Bible says in Hebrews? That we are open and laid bare before him. We can't hide anything from the Lord, can we? He created us. 
He knows us very, very well. Perfectly. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. I want to show you something. What do we as the church need to remember during these times? All men have been created by God. This is the first thing. Made in the image of God. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. David points this out. Look what he says. For you form my inward parts. Whoa. You ever thought about that? He formed your inward parts. Amazing. The human body itself is amazing. You ever studied the eye? Just the eye. I mean, you know you have these telescopes and you have these, you know, things that you're like, whoa, wow, but the eye, there's nothing like the eye. He says, you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. So he's acknowledging that he was created by God. And look what he says. Here's the response to that. I will give thanks to you. When was the last time you thanked the Lord for making you? You say, well, that, that sounds selfish. No, I don't mean it in that way. When's the last time you said, Lord, thank you for making me? <laughs> and by the way, thank you for sustaining me. You know, he sustains us. And it's not like I have a right to be sustained. He sustains me. Do you know the Bible says that he causes the rain to fall on the what? Just and who? Unjust. We as the church acknowledge, I hope, that he is the creator God. Our world's not going to do that necessarily. Like you young people that just graduated from high school, I hope you have cemented in your mind that you've been created by God. Because when you get to another campus, if your choice is college, you're not going to hear that unless you go to a Christian college. You're not going to hear that. You're going to hear what is theory presented as fact. That's what you're going to hear. So you better have it cemented in your minds. You better have it cemented in your minds. God created all things. God did. So every single day I need to say, Lord, thank you for my life. Wouldn't it be nice if that was being bannered about today? You know, the church needs to do that. We need to get on board and remind people, listen, whether they're saved or not, you have a creator. I remember my oldest son taking an exam one time and he said, Dad, I'm going to make a B on this test. I said, no, you're not. You're going to make an A. Make a B? He's a smart kid. He's like, Dad, I'm going to make a B on the test. Might even be worse than a B. I said, why? He says, because I've got to tell my teacher where we came from. Best B he ever made. I was so proud of him. And if you know Caleb, he's not bashful. He just declared it. The Lord is my creator. The Lord is my sustainer. So, what about you? Afraid to do that? I think so, right? Let's just be honest. Sometimes you're sitting in a classroom and you're going, I'm scared. Guess why? Because you're human. We're going to be scared. But the Lord has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of what power? I've said things in classroom settings before that I know it wasn't me saying it. I'm like, Dad, what are you? I mean, I get done, I'm like, wow, that, that was just all the Lord. 
The church acknowledges his creation. The world doesn't necessarily do that. I think one of the messages that needs to be proclaimed, listen, we need to tell people they've been created by God. And we need to remember that every day that we have on this earth is a gift from God. I came face to face with that in December. I had no idea. It was like a ticking time bomb. That's what the doctor told me. He said, Dad, you're like a ticking time bomb. I'm thinking, I'm going to explode. I mean, I had four arteries clogged 85 to 100%. Isn't that awesome? Wasn't that awesome? But you know what? God used that man's hands. Whether he recognized it or not, he used that man's hands to help me. Now my blood's flowing. My hands aren't cold all the time. Mm, it's wonderful. I'm thankful for the life that God's given me. Are you? I think that probably for some is a strange place to start when you're talking about how you deal with something like this that we're going through in our culture, in our world. But, man, it's the starting point. If you're presenting the gospel, it's the starting point. Starting point is Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? All right, so all men have been created by God, number one. Don't forget that. Don't forget how special you are. In fact, listen to what he says at the end of 15 and 16. Look at this. I will give thanks to you, he says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Well, that's, how do you even comprehend that? And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. You know what people do sometimes? Let's be honest. This is what we do sometimes. We worry about how, many, how much longer we're going to live. As you get older, you think about, hey, death's right around the corner. We need to just live life today. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own as written in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, hey, look, tomorrow's got enough trouble. Let's not worry about tomorrow. We can't do anything about it anyway, right? So let's live today, this day that God has made. We sing it, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it today. I feel sorry for these people that are out there that have no hope. I do. I feel sorry for them. And it's not just the cultural pandemic that causes us to think that. It's the, the medical one too. Like these people are walking around with hope, hopeless. And we're walking around with hope. A certainty. Not a maybe so, but a certainty that says, hey, one day I'm going to be with my Lord and my Savior and it's going to be forever. I don't know how many days I have. I have no idea. I'm not worried about it. You know what? When I close my eyes in death, guess what? I'm with my Lord. It get better than that? Go buy an insurance plan like that. I mean, there's no one but that, all right? Hey, knowing the Lord allows me one day to be in His presence for an eternity. Well, all men have been created by God. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter 7. This is the second one. All men have a severe sin problem. Now notice I said all men. <laughs> that includes you and me. Isn't that awesome? We get to be thrown in that basket. We all have a major sin problem. You say, now Thad, you don't know me. I'm a pretty good guy. Well, okay. I'd say I'm a pretty good guy too, but you know what? I'm a sinful man. And do you know in the book of Romans, 
that Paul, in the area in which he's like, if you're breaking it down doctrinally, he, he's already talked about being justified by faith in chapter 5, and you get to chapter 7, he's wrestling with these two natures, right? One that wants to please the Lord, and the other one that just wants to run off and do its own thing. Any of you guys ever struggle with that? You ever want to just run off and do your own thing? Come on, let's be honest. Yes, we do. You know what Paul comes to the conclusion? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? <laughs> it's going to be nice to be delivered from the presence of sin. Right? You know, the sad part is there's going to be some that are going to remain that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And do you think it's bad now? Read Revelation and then get back with me. Anarchy to the hilt. Why? Because the presence of the church is gone. <laughs> I think this doesn't make sense. Just wait. I'm a sinful man. I am. I sin every day. I don't ever get these people who say, I didn't sin today. Well, I don't know, man. I sin every day. If I'm just not doing it out loud with my big old mouth, my mind goes in directions it doesn't need to go. Any of y'all like that? When I think God's charged me to teach God's word and preach God's word, and man, I'm just like, Lord, do you know who I am? Mark chapter 7 is an interesting chapter. You could pull out a couple of verses, but then that would just be robbing the context because we need to understand what's going on here. So look in the top of chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him. Who's him? Jesus. Where they had come from, they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. They sure wouldn't have made it now, would they? <laughs> but the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands. Thus observing the tradition of the elders. You could say the traditions of men. And when they come, excuse me, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and the pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? I love the way the Lord answers questions. He never goes in the direction that those people want him to go. It's just awesome. He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. You talk about not a politically correct statement. There you go. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips. Uh-oh. Hope none of us are like that that we just honor him with our lips, because look at what he says, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. <laughs> They're teaching the doctrines of men. I'm afraid that in our culture, sometimes, even in church culture, 
the doctrines of men are being propagated and not the doctrines of God. You know, I tried to join a ministerium years ago. You know what that is? A bunch of pastors trying to get together to work alongside one another and serve the Lord. We couldn't even agree on the gospel. Fifteen men in a room, two of us agreed, me and one other pastor. I just couldn't believe it. I was flabbergasted. I was like, what? They're trying to give me a social gospel. I'm like, hey, hold on a second, dude. I, I, I'm one, if I'm in the room, I'll be quiet, but then I'm going to talk. Especially if it's not going the direction of the book. And I'm like, hey, look, man. The answer for people is not some social, let's be good to our neighbors. I'm, there's only one way of salvation. And me and the, this other guy just, I mean, we, we couldn't, it was just unbelievable. Sometimes we could say that the doctrines of God are ignored and the traditions of men are put up high. You've got to be careful. That's what Jesus says, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. By the way, since you guys are young, please do that your whole life. I think some people look at that and like, I do it while I'm in their house. Then when I'm out of their house, I'm done with that. <laughs> really? God said that? I can't find that. Can you find that? I can't find that. I mean, my dad's 77 years old. I'm still honoring my dad. Agreeing with him on everything? Pfft, you kidding me? No way. Honoring him? Yes. I wrote, we're cleaning out our, our basement, and I found a letter that I wrote to mom and dad yesterday. And it's like, wow. I'm thanking my dad for the godly man that he was and that he is today. Well, honor your father and mother. By the way, it's the first commandment with a promise. Listen to me, young people. You know what Paul says in Ephesians? So that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. That's one to chew up this afternoon when you're eating your pizza or whatever it is you're going to eat. Now some of you are thinking, ooh, pizza does sound good. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting inside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father, and of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have said that would help you is Corban. And then he defines that. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. And then, whoo, here he goes. Two different groups here. He talks to the crowd and he talks to the disciples. And after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Uh-oh. Look what he says. The next verse, it's bracketed. And it's bracketed because it doesn't appear in a lot of the early manuscripts. But you have to kind of look at it and go, well, does this kind of statement occur anywhere else in the Bible? Shake your head, yes. It sure does. 
He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You remember in the book of Revelation, as he's writing to the churches, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm not so certain that we are really good listeners. That certainly is a discipline, isn't it? Look what he says. When he had left the crowd, okay, so he says that to the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. They want to understand it. Guess what Jesus does? Here it is. He said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile the man? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. Well, what proceeds out of man? All this good and wonderful stuff, right? Wrong. By the way, don't read this thinking, oh, that applies to everybody else but me. You know, the only difference between us that are in Christ and the unregenerate person who does not know Christ is that we have been dressed with the righteousness of Christ. And so when God looks at Thad Blunt, he sees his son. Everybody get that? So it's not like I'm walking around going, man, I am righteous, I'm a righteous dude, right? The reality is that the righteousness that I have been dressed with is the righteousness of Christ, which makes me acceptable to God. It's not because I'm some great and wonderful guy. So I really feel sorry for these religious people in our world today thinking, well, you know, if I do so many good things, I'm going to get there. Dude, you know what the Bible says in Romans about the acts of men, the works of men, are as what? Filthy rags. Uh Uh-oh. Look at what Jesus says. For from within, out of the heart of men. And by the way, he doesn't, he's including his disciples. I mean, it's all of us. We're all guilty. Look at what comes out of the heart of men. Evil thoughts. Is that going on in our world today? Is that going on in the church today? Yeah, some. Fornication, sexual sin, is that going on in our world today? Uh Uh-huh. In the walls of the church today? Uh Uh-huh. And Jesus, just in case we wanted to be self-righteous about that, defined how that looks in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember what he said? He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that if if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's already done what? He's guilty! You know what Jesus is saying? Hey, you're all guilty. Thefts, we have that go on. Yeah. Murders. Hey, listen. The cultural unrest is because of that. The murder. The murder of George Floyd. A man created by God. We agree with that? We can say that, right? But you know... There was another man that was murdered in St. Louis. Did you guys read about that? The former police captain 
in St. Louis protecting a business was murdered. Let me ask you a question. Was either one right? Either one of those murders right? Answer, no. But what are we expecting of man? That's my question. When I come out, I'm like, well, Jesus already tells me it's going on. There's murders, there's adulteries, there's deeds of coveting. The word there is greed, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. In other words, Jesus is saying, all men are guilty. you believe you're guilty today? I'll just use myself as an example. I'm guilty. I am a sinner saved by grace. You say, well, how bad is that really? Romans chapter 3. Flip over there, and if you don't flip over there, I'll just read it to you. Listen to this. Paul talking about the condition of man. He says, what then, chapter 3, verse 9, what then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. You know what that means? All men are under sin. Red, yellow, black, and white. All men. Are you listening to me? All men are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. But you know, as Christians, we need to be careful of the way we use our language. Say, that's, that's good, and that's good, and that's good. We need to remember how God sees it. Man's good, apart from Christ, is his filthy rags. Then notice what he says in verse 12. There's not even one. Their throats, their throat, excuse me, is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You guys know a culture like that? Shake your head. You do. We're living in it. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Look at this. Verse 15. Their feet are swift to do what? Shed blood. Man, that sure does sound like some of the stuff that Jesus was saying. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. <laughs> That's a terrible statement. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I want to tell you right now, we are living in a culture, there is fear, but not a fear of God. I got news for every single one of you in the, here this morning, and those who may be watching, and I'm going to tell you this. I am going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. I'm going to do it. You know what's so awesome? I'm not going to stand condemned because of my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. But there's a judgment that's coming for the unbeliever. The great, great white throne judgment in which all men who do not know the Lord will stand before him guilty. Guilty. And at that point, there's nothing you can do. 
forever condemned to being separate from God. I've said it before from this pulpit, the hell of hells is separation from the one who made you. Because the one who made you wants a relationship with you. Can you even imagine after reading this stuff and how pathetic we look that he loves us? How about that? That's pretty good. That's a message we need to declare to the world right now. Because listen, as I said earlier, we are not moving toward utopia. We are moving toward the tribulation period. And people need Christ. I'm going to tell you this story before I share the last two things with you. Yesterday, or yesterday, what's yesterday? Saturday, Friday. I was on the way to the bank and uh, to get money. And usually I stop at the regions closest to my house. The Lord just had me drive on. For some reason, I just didn't want to go there. I was like, ah, I'm going to continue to go, and I'm going to go to another bank. And I stopped at a bank in Pinson. Long story short, the line was so long, wrapped around the building, you couldn't even get to the ATM machine. So I'm like, you know what? I can walk to that ATM machine. There are no cars there because they couldn't get to it if they wanted to. So I parked my truck. Next thing I know, this lady's yelling out the window, hey, sir, are you going to the ATM machine? I said, I sure am. I'm walking right over there. Then this guy gets out of his, his SUV and he, truck and he walks over and, and he's standing there pretty close to me. I'm three or four feet from me. We start having a conversation about what's going on in our world. I was interested to know his perspective. I won't tell you about that part. If you want to know about that part, you can ask me after church. But Rodney, we were walking back toward my truck. And um, I pulled a Tony Cooey. I said, hey, Rodney, what's your life like spiritually? Where are you? He's like, man, Thad, he said, I believe in Jesus, but he said, I don't know why he'd even love me because I'm a wretched man. I was like, hey, I'm about to talk about that Sunday. I didn't tell him that, but I was thinking it. I said, hey, Rodney, I got good news for you. I'm a wretched man too, but I'm a wretched man saved by grace. And I began to share the gospel with him. You know, when you're about to preach something, the Lord's like, okay, let's see if you're going to stick with that. And right in front of me. Guys, our world needs the message of grace. We have it. The question is, are we declaring the things that are true from Scripture in a time of unrest? We are in a time of unrest. You know, it's interesting that our generation is facing this. You know, there's so many viewpoints. You just, you're like, ugh. You know, you just want to barf. <laughs> it's like, don't give me any more viewpoints. Let me just look at what the book says about how I need to handle man. Well, I need to tell man that he was created by God. I need to tell man that he's a sinner. And you know, you don't find that too much in pulpits today because that's offensive. Isn't that awful that we don't do that anymore? When did that become unpopular? That all of a sudden we have to tell people, oh, you're really pretty okay. Well, no, they're not. And neither are you and neither am I. Except we're saved by grace. We need to tell people thirdly, that Jesus Christ died for them. We got good news for them. Right, now listen, don't spend 45 minutes talking about sin and five minutes talking about the death of Christ. You know, they're going to pretty much, if you ask a person, you know, are you a sinner? Even though that for us is like, that's a 
they're going to say, yeah, I do bad things, right? I mean, that's the way of the world. They're going to say that. And if they don't acknowledge it, say, well, I got some bad news for you first. And then I got some good news for you. And the bad news is that we're all sinners and we're separated from God. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died for all men. You say, all men? I'm not sure why this is a struggle for people theologically, but it's clear from the Bible. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. I want to show you real quick. 1 John 2, 2. We know what John's gospel says, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him may not what perish, but have everlasting life. Coming to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, you're getting into some pretty deep water. Because in this particular section, John is writing to believers, and he's talking to them really about the extent of the propitiation or satisfaction. I mean, did Christ's death satisfy for just a few or for all? What does the Bible say? It's a good question. Well, guess what? The question is answered for us. First John chapter 2, look at verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now look at this. The language is very important and pronouns are very important. You've got to love you some pronouns. If you don't like it in high school, maybe you'll like it in college. And if you don't like it in college, come to me and I'll help you appreciate them. He himself is the propitiation. That word means satisfaction. Okay, so if you don't like to try to say propitiation five times in a row, which can be difficult, you can just put satisfaction in there. That's what it means. He is the satisfaction. He satisfied, Jesus did, the wrath of God. That's, that's beyond our comprehension. But he satisfied the wrath of God. Look what he says. For our sins. Who's our? Well, it's John, it's the other disciples, and it's these believers, and it's us. And we're like, okay, I get that. He is the satisfaction for our sins. But he doesn't stop there. I mean, he could have just said that and put a period. But he couldn't. Because it wasn't just for us. Notice what it says. And not for ours only. So he makes it a point to say, hey, look, not just for ours, those of us who are in Christ, but he says, but also for those of the what? Whole world. Jesus Christ died for Adolf Hitler. Chew on that a while. He died for Thad Blunt. You say, man, there's a big difference between those two guys. Yeah, but not in this way. He was a sinner, and I am a sinner. I don't know if he died in his sins or not. There's one judge, and that's Jesus Christ. You say, well, yeah, Thad, he's in hell. Well, be careful, because there's one judge, and it's Jesus Christ, not me or you, okay? But then, listen, I'm a sinner too. We have to get that cemented in our minds. Cemented in our minds that he not only died for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. His atonement was satisfaction to the Father for all of us. And just look in the mirror when you get home, and I mean, you look good today, but when you get home and you look in the mirror and you go, man, I'm a wretched dude. I'm a sinful man. And it won't take you long to think about the sins, will it? You know, 
I've had a question in my mind over the years. I don't even know that I want the answer to the question. How many times have I sinned unknowingly? How many things in my life are really displeasing to God? Because I've got the list, right? You have the list, right? This is what displeases God. But, man, he, listen, we can't forget this. He's a holy, holy, holy God. And we're trying to measure ourselves with Joe or Gene. I like that we can declare to all men that Christ died for them. Hey, look. Jesus, when he told the disciples, he, he didn't say, hey, go make disciples. Let me tell you which ones of these guys are going to know me. And did he do that? No, he didn't do that. What did he say? Hey, look, start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? Uttermost parts. And you know the best verse in that section in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is really verse 18. If you don't get verse 18, you're not going to appreciate verses 19 and 20. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says, in heaven and where? On earth. Whoa, that means I can walk around and go, hey, Jesus is in charge. I'm just going to give you the truth and let him do the work. My stomach is growling. That's what two services do. I'm going to have to have some kind of candy bar or something between. Last point, we're done. So, all men have been created by God. All men have a severe sin problem. That's what explains all these things that are going on, by the way. So, in case you want to know. By the way, don't try to be the expert. Can I just say that? Don't try to be the expert and figuring it all out and saying what's wrong with man. I would love, I'm, I'm not on Facebook, but I would love for somebody to come tell me that they're going to tell people that the problem with man is sin. The manifestation of that problem is murders and thefts and all that. But the problem is sin. If you post that this week, will you please come tell me? I'd love to know that. The fourth thing is not only did Jesus Christ die for all men, but Jesus Christ expects us to love one another. You say, what's the big deal about that? Is that really a big deal? I mean, I love these guys over here, but man, these guys over here, Lord, you don't know these guys over here. There's a command given in 1 John that we're to love one another. I'll let you read that this afternoon. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. But I want to give you one verse. And this defines the weight of that love issue. How important is it for the world to see that we love each other? What's the big deal? Right? I, mean, I love this person, but I don't love this person. I mean, Lord, you mean I've got to love the entire body of Christ? Ugh! Right? Well, you know what? We do. And do you know what? One of the challenges that I had and have, I think I still have it. I mean, I can say it out loud. I love all you guys. But love is action. Agape love is action. It's not just saying, I love you. But it's acting. See? I have some good friends that are um, African-American pastors. And, and I love them. And their, their churches and congregations are going through things. I can't, I can't understand that culture. I can't. But I can love my brothers and sisters, can't I? 
Is heaven divided? Anybody get that memo? I didn't get the memo. The Bible says every tribe and tongue and people will be represented in heaven. How about that? That's going to be good. How important is it to love one another? The Lord Jesus told his disciples in the upper room right before his crucifixion, he says, they, they, meaning the world, will know that you are my disciples, followers of Christ, by your what? By your what? Love for one another. You say, yeah, but you don't understand that. I mean, I can't love that person. What are you doing, waiting for them to get perfect? That's not happening. I can't really love you, Thad. Well, hey, but your responsibility as a believer is to love me. And my responsibility as a believer is to love you. And guess what's going to happen? When we're loving one another properly in the body of Christ and not paying attention to all these other issues, then we're going to be loving our Latino brothers and we're going to be loving our African-American brothers and we're going to be loving our Chinese brothers and you name it and we're going to be loving them. And we say, well, that's uncomfortable. Well, get over it. Because God wants us to be in unity. Imagine that. You say, yeah, that, but I can't even get unity in my home. <laughs> that's a challenge, isn't it? Right? But the body of Christ, do you know one of the leading subjects in the New Testament is the unity of the body of Christ? It's almost 10 after 12. You guys are probably saying, hurry up. I'm going to leave you with this story. Ready? I went to Belize for the first time in 1992. My pastor didn't give me, he was my boss at the time. He didn't give me an option. He said, hey, Thad, you're going to Belize next March. I said, I'm going where? He said, you're going to Belize, Central America. I was like, I don't know if I want to. I mean, I'm just being honest. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. He said, you're going. Great. And at the time, I didn't mean great. I was nervous. I was scared. And I think, if I was honest, part of it was a cultural thing. I didn't know quite how I was going to fit in that culture. And so we went down there, and I was assigned to preach on a Sunday night. Phil took Sunday morning, I took Sunday night. Do you know they worship differently in Belize than we do? They stand up and they clap. And they move their bodies around. And if that's the first time you're ever exposed to it, you're like, that's not how we do it at Grace or Berean. And you're like, Ugh, right? You should see Miss Marion. You think she cooks good. She does cook good. But man, she's worshiping the Lord. And they're dancing. We'd say they're dancing. I'm like, where do they get that, right? I mean, I'm 28 at the time. And I'm like, I haven't been exposed to that in my church culture. And so I got a little uncomfortable. But then, you know what the Lord taught me over the years? Hey, Thad, remember Exodus 15 when they crossed the Red Sea and they say they're dancing with timbrels? Now, I'm not talking about out of control. In no way should we be out of control. The focus should be on the Lord. We all get that, right? But these guys in that culture, they had 
instruments. I don't, I don't even know the names of them. And, 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 they're, and they're expressing praise and worship to the Lord. There's no, they're, they're not being inhibited by what's this person thinking, what's that person think. They're just worshiping. Because Americans tend to kind of, some of us anyway, judge the person. Ooh, they're lifting up their hands. Well, the issue is holy hands. Remember that. That's another lesson. But I'm preaching, and I go for about 30 to 40 minutes. I don't remember exactly. One person stands up and says, can you keep preaching? Yeah, I can keep preaching, man. Sit back now. I mean, right here, it'd be like, stop. Like right now, you're saying stop. It's 1210. But the reality is this, guys. I didn't understand the culture. And I labeled it. And I kind of like, you know, was I'd be honest, I was a little uncomfortable. And, and the longer I was there, I was like, you know, Lord, these people are genuine. Sorry for judging that. Guys, we can all agree that our, in our culture, there's a mess. It's a mess. Our world is a mess. But can we all agree on this? that the only solution to the mess is Jesus Christ. He's the only solution. I would encourage you, when you get home, read Romans chapter 12. Just read it. Read all of it. When you've read it, call me. Text me. There's a lot there to consider about how I live and how I respond in a culture that's a mess. You know, I stand here as a pastor and as a person, and the person Thad would tell you, it certainly bothers me as a person when people commit sin. It does. It bothers me. I need to be more bothered about my own sin, don't I? But it bothers me that life is taken from people like we've seen. Whether we're talking about George Floyd or the man in St. Louis. Doesn't matter. But you know what? We have a responsibility as believers. We do know this because the Bible tells us this. We need to pray for those that rule over us and have authority over us. We need to pray for our president and our vice president. We need to pray for those in political power in our communities. And we need to pray for those who, who help to oversee us and protect us. We do. We need to pray for all of it. We can't just say, well, we're going to pray for this one thing. No, we have to pray for all of it. We have to pray for the unrest and that people would come to know Christ. We have to pray for those people who are charged with protecting us as well. We agree on that? We have two men in our very congregation that are out there on the roads all the time. As far as I know these men, and I know them pretty well, they want to uphold the law. They want that. We need to pray for those men. We can't put people in a corner and say everybody's like that. We can't. Just like for a teacher. You have teachers, and this is the example I'm going to use. You have a lot of teachers that are really good, genuine teachers. You know, every once in a while, there's sexual misconduct with teachers. Any of you ever read? I mean, all you, have to do, you wouldn't have to search that long. But that doesn't mean all the teachers are bad, right? doesn't mean that. My wife's a teacher. She's a great teacher. She teaches me all the time. I mean, she's a wonderful teacher. But we need to have in our minds, what does God want us to do about these things? We need to pray for our president 
and our vice president and those that rule over us on a federal level and a local level. God will give them wisdom. And you know what we need to pray also, and I'll be done with this. We need to pray that the Christians in these places will stand up and be heard for the glory and praise of the Lord. All right, well, I'm done. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, um, we look around our world and we just see the mess it's in and we all have our different thoughts and opinions about things and I guess that's okay. I know I express mine at times and we know they're imperfect thoughts and opinions. Um, Lord, I pray we would have a biblical worldview that we would see that all men have been created by you. Red, yellow, black, and white. The Bible uh, tells us, Lord, that um, your creation is precious. When I was a kid, we sang the song, Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Lord, I'm thankful for your love. I'm thankful that you love the world. What a mess it's in. Lord, I think about your grace, and it's already been demonstrated through an example. We remember when Moses was, I mean, when Moses, when um, Noah was building the ark, Lord, we remember that he proclaimed the truth. He preached for 120 years. Maybe what's lacking today is the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give pastors the freedom to declare your truths. And that, Lord, as a people, as believers in Christ, that we would take opportunities to, to share the fact that we've been created, that we're all sinful. All of us are sinful. We all fall short of your glory. But, but there's good news and that Christ died for all. And his desire is that all come to the knowledge of the faith. We know not all are going to. But people aren't wearing shirts that say, I'm not going to come to the knowledge of the faith. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to look past our, our differences and to love people where they are, love them so much we're willing to tell them the truth about you. And then, Lord, I pray that the church of Jesus Christ would be unified in their love for you and their love for one another so that when the world sees us, they'll say, hey, there's something different about that person. And I pray that they see the difference in us as Jesus Christ. And as we have opportunities, Lord, that we would be willing to share the greatest change that took place in our life, which was the day that we came to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. So we just commit the rest of the day to you. Help us to be biblical, Lord, in our approach to the things that are going on in our world. And I'm thankful to know, and I'll close with this, Lord, thankful to know that one day you are coming back for your church. And you tell us, Lord, in your word, that forever we will be with you. So I pray that, number one, for all these folks in here, that they would know without a shadow of a doubt that they belong to you. And if they belong to you, Lord, that they would live for you. And Lord, that you would help all of us to measure the things that we say 
and the things that we do because as Paul wrote, you are the one that needs to receive all the honor and glory in the church. And with those things, we close our time together. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed. It's good to see you. And again, congratulations, seniors.